As you all know, President Trump is deeply committed to our veterans. These brave men and women have given so much to our country and deserve our absolute best, which is why this president is fighting for reform and accountability at the VA. In keeping with his campaign pledge, the president donates his salary on a quarterly basis to further important projects. Today, the president is proud to donate his 2018 first quarter salary to the Department of Veterans Affairs to support their caregiver programs. Acting Secretary of Veterans Affairs Robert Wilkie is here to accept the check. I'd like to bring him up to say a few words about how these funds will be used. And make sure that I give Thank you, you much, the all-important actual check. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sarah, and good afternoon. Um, before I address the President's generosity, I want to say a couple of things about what happened in the, in the House yesterday. I want to send my, my thanks and the thanks of Veterans Affairs to the Chairman of the House Veterans Affairs Committee, Dr. Rowe, and thank him for the bipartisan coalition that he forged together. The vote yesterday was overwhelming, 347 to 70. And this is long-awaited legislation that our veterans have been uh, waiting in anticipation of. This takes seven community care programs that we've been using for the last 15 to 20 years and condenses them into one. It also makes it much easier for our veterans to obtain care that they need at the moment that they need it in homes and in facilities closest to where they live. This also opens up the caregiver program to long-waiting communities within our veterans' world. Those veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam and the Gulf War who have not had access to a community caregiver program that was opened up for those who have served in the military since 9-11. So with this strong bipartisan support, we urge the Senate to take up the House bill and give it to President Trump, hopefully, before Memorial Day. But I also want to single out the major veteran service organizations, 38 of them signed a letter in support of this legislation to the House and Senate leadership. Their people have been walking the halls of the Congress for the last week. They will be in the Senate next week, and we can't thank them enough for their support for our nation's 20 million veterans. And Sarah, I want to thank you for the announcement. I want to thank you for uh, President Trump's generosity. The President's gift underscores his promise to do all that he can for veterans which includes supporting those who care for our veterans, not just those of us at VA, but the husbands, the wives, the families, and the community caregivers who are out there day in and day out making life easier for those who have borne the battle. President Trump understands the critical role of caregivers in meeting the essential needs of America's veterans. So we've already earmarked this gift for caregiver support in the form of mental health and peer support programs, financial aid, education, training, and research. I am deeply, deeply grateful to President Trump for providing me the opportunity to serve America's veterans and for his generosity in supporting them. So thank you, Sarah, and thank you to President Trump. Uh, I know how much this means to America's veterans. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lastly, this week is set aside each year to honor those across our country who wear the badge. In the spirit of Police Week, I want to read a quick letter from Samuel of San Antonio, Texas, that he sent the President. 
Dear Mr. President Donald J. Trump, last year I raised about $375 for our police. I went down to McDonald's and bought 75 $5 gift cards so the police officers could get coffee or lunch. It would be really cool to meet you. I wish I could vote for you, but I'm only 11. But my mom voted for you. I'm starting a fundraiser called A Break for the Blue. I listened to your talks and I went to the inauguration and saw you. You're awesome. Sincerely, Samuel. Thankfully, I had the honor of meeting Samuel earlier today. He was uh, adopted by his family in Guatemala. He's incredibly grateful to be an American, and uh, he's very grateful to all of the law enforcement officers around the country. The president is very proud of Samuel and believes our country needs more young people like him who give back to their communities. Uh, and he's a, a really, really great kid, and it was great to meet him. And with that, I will take your questions. John. Sarah, we, we haven't had a chance to, to hear uh, any kind of an in-depth analysis here. Where are we with the summit with Kim Jong-un and the statements that we've heard over the last few days out of North Korea? Uh, do, these, do you think that these throw in jeopardy the idea of a summit? Or, or is this just North Korea doing what it does and trying to get the best deal possible? Look, the president is uh, prepared and will be ready to meet. And we're continuing to move forward with the preparations at this point. And if the North Koreans want to meet, we'll be there. And at this point, there is not a lot of change beyond that, uh, and certainly not in, in our process. So what North Korea is saying now about the joint military exercises after Moon Jae-in said Kim knows that these take place and he understands that they have to take place. What game is North Korea playing? Uh, you'd have to ask North Korea what game they're playing. I can tell you what we're doing, uh, and we're continuing to move forward in preparations. And the president, as we've said all along, will be prepared and ready to meet. And um, there's really not a lot to add beyond that point. John? Thanks a lot, Sarah. What leverage does the U.S. have as it relates to having this meeting take place on June the 12th? And to that meeting actually taking place when it takes place, if it takes place, what leverage does the U.S. have over accomplishing the American goal of denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula? Uh, we're continuing in the maximum pressure campaign. Uh, but again, nothing has changed on our end. This was an invitation that North Korea offered and that we've accepted, and we're continuing to move forward in those preparations. Steve? Another issue. Sorry, I'm going to keep going because we're really tied on if time I just, today. Uh, Steve, follow go ahead. Up on that. Uh, what the North Koreans also announced was they were stopping the dialogue with South Korea. So is it possible that there could be a meeting between the United States and North Korea if that whole dialogue between the North and South is on ice. Uh, the meeting that would take place on June 12th is is between the United States and North Korea, should it take place. We're going to meet uh, with President Moon next week. And beyond that, again, there are no changes at this point to our schedule uh, or anything else. Blake? Yeah. Does President Trump believe that the FBI had a spy at one point inside his campaign? Uh, I haven't spoken with him directly about that, but certainly seen the reports, and if there is any truth to that, it should certainly be looked into. Emerald, sorry, I'm going to keep going just because we're tight. Emerald, go ahead. Thank you. Following up on Blake's question, if it is proven without a shadow of a doubt that there was a spy planted in the Trump campaign, does that change the president's position on firing Robert Mueller? I'm not going to speak about hypotheticals or get into uh, what could happen if. Uh, we'll move forward in the process and make a determination at that point. John? Thank you, Sarah. Um, the Iraqi elections are over, 
And it's very clear that the two big winners, the two top vote getters, were the party that was linked to Maktara el Sadr, uh, a sworn enemy of the United States and someone aligned with the Iraqi Communist Party. And the second place finisher was the party aligned with Mr. Al-Hamri, a warlord who was once backed by Iran. What's the U.S.'s attitude on a government in Baghdad uh, having either of those individuals as the key player? I'll start with the fact I'm glad you said the names and not me because I probably wouldn't have gotten them right. Uh, but in terms of our policy, we don't have any new policy announcements uh, with a potential change there. Jeff? So you don't care if either of them is? Uh, Certainly we care, but I don't have any specific changes in U.S. policy uh, while that's happened. Jeff? Sarah, what does the United States expect out of negotiations today with China on trade, and what are the President's intentions on helping uh, or changing the policy towards Chinese companies, ZTE? Uh, in terms of the meeting, I'll start there. Uh, those are conversations that are ongoing. Um, when we have something from that, I'll be happy to share it with you. But right now, uh, those are just discussions, and there's nothing to add to that at this point since they're just now taking place. I can say uh, that we expect that the president uh, will meet with um, the head of the Chinese delegation later this afternoon. Uh, on, on ZTE, look, the United States and China uh, relationship has a lot of issues that we have regular ongoing conversations about, national security, trade, and ZTE is one of them. As we've said before, and as the President has stated, he's asked Secretary Ross to look into the issue uh, and do whatever is consistent with the law and regulations, but right now it's just something that he's asked them to look into. Julie. Thanks, Sarah. Um, also on trade, the President said yesterday that Mexico does nothing for us, especially at the border. We know there are uh, talks today on NAFTA, uh, today and tomorrow, um, and I wonder if, if the administration is going to condition any NAFTA deal on a safe third country agreement with Mexico or Mexico stepping up to do more to absorb asylum seekers and other migrants who are seeking entry to the U.S.? I'm not going to get into the trade conversations at this point uh, because they are ongoing and those are negotiations that we're in the middle of. But I can tell you that the president does want uh, to see Mexico step up and do more. Uh, there's a lot that comes through their country and he wants them to be tougher and more aggressive on that front. Jeff? Uh, thank you, sir. This morning the President uh, marked the one-year anniversary of the Mueller investigation, saying it's disgusting, illegal, unwarranted, and a witch hunt. But his own FBI director yesterday said it's not a witch hunt. Um, does the President, uh, why does the White House still believe it's a witch hunt? And why did he cancel his news conference this afternoon? which was originally set for 3 o'clock with the NATO Secretary Different General. topics. But the President knows that there was no collusion in the campaign, uh, and he has been quite clear about this. It's gone on for over a year. They found no evidence of collusion and still strongly believe that it's a witch hunt. I, I'm not sure um, how we could be any more clear and certainly not sure how the President could be any more clear about his beliefs and his opinion. In terms of uh, a press engagement, the President uh, will have uh, press at the, uh, his event here shortly, which is why we're going to have to keep it quick and short today uh, and likely take a few questions at that event. Jordan. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, on immigration, uh, there seems to be we're moving closer to action in the House of Representatives, and I'm wondering what bill the president would accept, um, anything short of the four pillars that he laid out earlier this month, um, something like border security and DACA, 
seems to be a proposal that is gaining steam. Is that something that the president could support? Uh, the president definitely supports uh, border security, as he's laid out uh, multiple times and, again, talked about uh, some yesterday. He would like to see the border secured. He would like to see the loopholes closed. Uh, our priorities have not changed uh, in the immigration conversation Aisha. at all. Aisha. Aisha. North Korea, uh, you have said that uh, the president will be willing to meet with North Korea if North Korea is. So does that put North Korea in the driver's seat here? Is it North Korea that's going to decide whether a meeting takes place? And also, uh, the president said yesterday that uh, the White House hadn't heard anything from North Korea. Has that changed? Have you heard anything since these calls, these talks were called off with South Korea? Uh, they're certainly not in the driver's seat. Nothing could be further from the truth, but they're the ones that extended the invitation. We've accepted it. If they want to meet, we're happy to do that. If they don't, as the president has said, we'll see what happens, but we're going to continue the maximum pressure campaign. In the meantime, um, I, I, I don't know how they would be in the driver's seat in any capacity, form or fashion um, in this process. standard for we won't meet with you unless you do X, Y, Z? Look, the North Koreans have already made concessions. They've already, uh, three Americans are home now that weren't. Uh, the president has had uh, some success in this process, and certainly we've given up nothing, and we're going to continue moving forward, and we're moving into this with our eyes wide open. We're not naive in this process, but the president is fully prepared to have the meeting. But if not, um, that's okay, too, and we'll see what happens beyond that. Shannon. We've asked this a few times, but we're still that's okay. That's kind of what we do here. Ask the same question here. over and over and so over again. Can you say yet when Michael Cohen stopped being the president's personal lawyer? I, I'm not going to get into anything on that matter. You'd have to reach out to the president's outside counsel. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jill, go ahead. Able to answer Jill, that. go ahead. Thank you, Sarah. Um, why didn't the president disclose the reimbursement to Michael Cohen in last year's financial disclosure report? And just to follow up on other people's questions on North Korea, um, has any consideration been given at this point to potentially canceling those joint military exercises with South Korea? Uh, on the first question that was addressed in the financial disclosure, and that's something that would be determined by White House counsel, uh, how things would be categorized in the fi filings. So, and on uh, the second part, uh, those are ongoing uh, exercises that are routine and they're aware of, they're annual, and at this point we have no intention of changing. Stephen? I just want to ask you, because so many people in the country have been talking about it in the last 24 hours, what did the president mean when he said some immigrants are not people, they're animals? Uh, the president was very clearly referring to MS-13 gang members who enter the country illegally and whose deportations are hamstrung by our laws. Uh, this is one of the most vicious and deadly gangs that operates by the motto of rape, control, and kill. If the media and liberals want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Uh, frankly, I don't think the term that the president used was strong enough. MS-13 has done heinous acts. Uh, it took an animal to stab a man a hundred times and decapitate him and rip his heart out. It took an animal to beat a woman they were sex trafficking with a bat 28 times, indenting part of her body, and it took an animal to kidnap, drug, and rape a 14-year-old Houston girl. Frankly, I think that the term animal doesn't go far enough, and I think that the president should continue to use his platform and everything he can do under the law to stop these types of horrible, horrible, disgusting people. I'm going to
to take one more question. Peter. Thank you, Sarah. Um, are the chances of a summit now less likely than they were a week ago before these statements uh, came out? Came I'm not going to get into a percentage game. I can tell you that we're ready and prepared. If they happen, they happen. And if they don't, uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you here in a few minutes with the president. Sarah, has the president ever lied to us? Congratulations, America. You're watching The Briefing Room here on the one-year anniversary of the Bob Mueller uh, probe, his naming of the special counsel, the president tweeting his congratulations. Uh, welcome to The Briefing Room. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein, joined here by Catherine Folders and Arlette Sines, and we're going to get Cecilia Vega on from the White House in just a moment. But let's start with that, uh, that anniversary. The president has been on a Twitter tear. Uh, it's obviously on his mind uh, one year in. Uh, you, can, you can judge the, the Mueller probe by the guilty pleas or the indictments or the mean tweets from President Obama. Today alone, he is calling the probe disgusting, illegal, unwarranted, and, and adding a new twist to it, guys, an unfounded one, uh, so far as we can tell, that uh, the, Obama, the Obama FBI, according to him, uh, may have been spying on his campaign with the mole. The White House kind of not going there today. Yeah, Sarah Sanders uh, said that she's seen the reports but hadn't spoken to the president about that. But the president is saying that if that's true, that it would be the biggest scandal uh, since Watergate. But, you know, today he returned to his favorite phrase, it seems, for the Russia investigation, calling it a witch hunt. Uh, that's something that he has been doing since the day after this announcement was made just one year ago. And you've really seen this evolution in how the president has been approaching uh, this entire investigation. When it was launched one year ago, we had a senior White House official telling us that he was restrained in his response, but now it's almost a full-on war on Robert Mueller. No restraint, but a lot of talk about witch hunt. They have been consistent on the witch hunt line. They've been very consistent on the witch hunt line. He has since the beginning, but you're right. You have seen this evolution, not only from his response, but an evolution in how the legal team approaches dealing with Robert Mueller. You had, um, in the beginning, you had his New York hardliner lawyers who were out there taking a more aggressive approach. Then you moved to Ty Cobb, who's no longer there, who um, was kind of the good cop with uh, with Bob Mueller. And now you have Rudy Giuliani that says the president's going to come out swinging. He's mentioning Mueller by name. So Arlette mentions um, the president's um, evolution on this. There's also been a big evolution in the legal strategy as well. And Rudy dropping some news, um, if it's true, we don't know because the Mueller team hasn't told us, that the Mueller team has told the White House, according to Giuliani, that the president cannot and will not be indicted by Mueller. That seemed like an interesting little tidbit to drop in the midst of the negotiations. It is, because that's been one big question, is whether the president is actually going to sit for this interview. That's something that he's vacillated over uh, since last June when he said that he would actually sit down under oath. You have his team suggesting maybe you shouldn't uh, do it. But there has been that big question of whether Mueller would be able to compel the president uh, to do so. Yeah, and, and the, the question of cooperation is still out there as well. Uh, the White House got some questions today about Michael Cohen, the president's attorney. Of course, this is more to do with the Stormy Daniels affair uh, than anything with Bob Mueller. But it is a lingering issue. And, and the latest twist is that uh, the, the, the president's financial disclosure forms made public just yesterday show that he did, in fact, make this reimbursement that, that Rudy Giuliani and others have talked about to Michael Cohen. Uh, but intriguingly, th there's a little bit of an uh, odd footnote in there where the White House says, we didn't have to mention this, but we did it because we're all in the interest of transparency. Uh, the Office of, uh, of Government Ethics says, actually, you did need to say it. And they actually told the Justice Department that it needed to be said last year. Oh, right. They, they said that it needed to be said last year. OGE, the Office of Government 
Government Ethics says they determined the payment is required um, to be reported as a liability. And Sarah Sanders was asked why um, the president didn't disclose that or explain that on his last filing, not really answering the question. She said that's determined by White House counsel and, and, and didn't really um, get into it get into it there. But he, he was required to, and he put it in that little footnote on page 45 um, and didn't specify what it was for, um, that the payments were to Michael Cohen, but we know that Michael Cohen reimbursed Stormy Daniels and Trump reimbursed it through a third party. So we assume that's what it's for. And I don't know if you've ever had a president uh, referred <laughs> by the Office of Government Ethics to the DOJ over their financial disclosure form. So we'll see how These are official government documents. It's a big deal to not mention things. And the whole reason that these exist is that the American public has a right to know what wh who owes what to whom. And if the president has debts to certain private individuals or corporations, that has to be disclosed, whether it's a mortgage company or your personal attorney. It is an odd little piece of it to, to, to find out. Now, it, to my mind, when I saw it pop up on the on the form, that must be what Rudy was, why Rudy wanted to get in front of it a couple weeks ago, because they knew this was going to come out there and he needed to get this on the public record. Of course, the president was saying up through last month, he didn't know anything about this payment. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, Rudy did try and get ahead of it. Giuliani did, and he kind of muddied the waters a little bit there. So it's it's clear now a little bit what he was doing. They knew this was going to come out. They knew that they needed to get ahead of it um, and, and make this information known. But then uh, the president kind of messed it up a little bit again, saying Giuliani doesn't know what he's talking about. But now the information came out, and really it was the first acknowledgement um, of such a payment that was made to Michael Cohen on paper. I want to bring in Cecilia Vega, our White House correspondent. Cecilia, I saw you raising your hand there. Did Sarah not see you in the front row today? What happened? It was a good, uh, I got a good arm workout. It was a 12, <laughs> 12 full minutes worth of questions, guys. 12, uh, 12 yeah. minutes. But who's counting? Not me. Not, of course not. Well, I want to ask, I want to ask you about one of those questions, but first I want to Play, play the sound from yesterday when the president ha had a forum on immigration, on sanctuary cities over at the White House. Uh, and uh, he was asked at one point about gang members from MS-13. Take a look. We have people coming into the country, or trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. And we're taking them out of the country at a level and at a rate that's never happened before. So the White House today, Cecilia saying, uh, Sarah Sanders saying very clearly he's referring to, to MS-13 gang members. And, he, and she's recited some awful things that MS-13 gang members uh, have been accused of doing. What, what do you make of that explanation? And how does it square with what came out of the president's mouth yesterday? Well, there's zero question that this is among the most horrific disgusting, vile gangs, brutal gangs that are out there. And all of those stories that Sarah recited from the podium, I have no doubt uh, are, are, are true and have happened, uh, sadly to say. It is not clear. It was not clear in that meeting that the president was referring to MS-13. You were left to suppose, to hypothesize, to assume that that's what the president was uh, was saying. Now, now, the person who spoke before the president was talking about MS-13, but the president, you heard that statement there, did not make it clear. He said uh, people who cross the borders, I mean, I'm paraphrasing in short terms here, are, are illegally, are those who have been deported are animals. Uh, here's the problem. If he was talking about MS-13, 
He didn't make it crystal clear there. And those words matter. There are reverberations and, and impact because of what he has said, particularly in immigrant communities and Spanish language media, which I've been monitoring for the last day since this came out, uh, you know, is making a big deal of it because he did not use the, the word MS-13 in that statement. And, and people are scared. And so then you're left hours later trying to interpret what the president may or may not have meant. And it wasn't until the first reaction response we got in response to questions came in the form of a tweet from his son, Don Jr., who said, of course, this was about MS-13 gang members. And finally, uh, 24 hours later, Sarah Sanders addressed it from the podium today. Uh, but, you know, they, they're turning this into an attack on, in her words, liberals and the media all lumped in as one. Uh, and, and really, that's unfair because this was the president's that was unclear in this, this, this incident. And the other, point, the, the other point to consider, Cecilia, is that this doesn't come in a vacuum. The president just over the weekend suggested shutting down the federal government uh, this fall if there isn't a border wall. We've got a candidate for governor who says he's the pro-Trump candidate driving around in what he's calling a deportation bus in the state of Georgia. Meanwhile, moderate Republicans are trying to get a DACA bill. So immigration is very much front and center, splitting the Republican Party. That's the context for the meeting yesterday on Sanctuary Cities and the context for the president's comments, no? Yeah, this was in a meeting uh, here at the White House uh, about California. California, in particular sanctuary cities with a number of Republican lawmakers. And you can bet within minutes of, of this video that you're looking at right there, it came out uh, Governor Jerry Brown in California fired back at President Trump calling him a liar on immigration. Uh, the list is long, Rick, on the rhetoric, the anti-immigrant rhetoric uh, from this president and this administration in particular. I mean, that's what he ran on day one. The, among the comments, he said, you know, Mexicans are rapists. Some of them are good people. Um, that, that, that was day one. So, so there have been uh, ugly comments uh, many, many times before, which I think is why some people assumed that he was not just talking about MS-13 gang members in this, in this instance. And or a lot, you were pointing out that, that Sarah Sanders said that actually that doesn't go far enough, that yeah, they she, comment animals when you're talking about MS-13. She said that, that there needs to be a stronger term uh, used for that. The president has used this word before at a campaign rally uh, last summer, refer referring to criminal aliens who slice and dice young yeah. girls, uh, calling them animals. You've heard rhetoric like this from the president in, in the past. I don't think it's going to change going forward. And Cecilia, before we let you go, I want to hit the other uh, headline that's popping out there now, North Korea. Uh, of course, uh, the comments from the North Koreans that they may not actually sit down for this summit if the goal is to permanently end the nuclear program. I I I've noticed the president hasn't been tweeting about Little Rocket Man, so that would suggest that, uh, that the summit's still on. And, and you heard it explicitly from Sarah Sanders today. If the North Koreans want to meet, we will be there. So it doesn't seem like any of this is changing plans for Singapore a month from now. No, I mean, from what we're hearing and in, in talking to sources there, the planning is still very much going on. I think the the question and the issue that the White House doesn't want to confront now is this perception that it looks as if North Korea is the one in the driver's seat on this. Now, Sarah Sanders really pushed back on that that implication. But, uh, and, you know, the, but but look, North Korea freed the detainees. It, uh, I think many would say is an act of goodwill. Um, and and they are the ones who are saying they may or may not pull out of this summit now. Um, I mean, they really do seem to. They, we, we also know in talking to sources here that there are no preconditions by the Americans being set on the North Koreans ahead of this meeting. So they certainly have an upper hand in this. I don't know that they're necessarily driving, but they certainly are in command in, in terms of whether this meeting happens or not. I was really struck by the last question, one of the last questions that Sarah Sanders was asked on the topic of North Korea when she was asked if the chances of a summit are less likely now, and she wouldn't answer that. So, uh, you know, 
I'll tell you this, we haven't booked our tickets yet. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cecilia, so, so we'll let you get back in there. Good luck getting your questions answered next time. I hope, they, I hope they see you <laughs> in that the front row. Out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think, guys? I mean, the president let expectations get away from himself already on North Korea. I mean, he has been talking about himself for the Nobel Peace Prize, or as everyone else is talking yes. about himself for the Nobel Peace Prize. But it, but I am struck by the saber rattling from North Korea has not been met by anything commensurate from President Trump. No, it hasn't. And I was struck by the uh, by Sarah's comments where she said, um, you know, we'll we'll move forward on this. If North Korea wants to meet, we'll be there. Um, that you know. The president has met this meeting with a lot of caveats as well. He said, if it's not going to be good, I may walk out. I may yeah. or may not do this or that. Um, so it's not like he hasn't brought up some caveats for this summit happening. And, and just from watching that briefing, it seemed like she was more um, sure of it happening. Um, of course, when it answered the question, if it, if it was less likely now, but I think it would be interesting to see the president's first reaction to this. He has um, an event coming up shortly. Maybe he'll be asked. Um, but yesterday, even, he said um, when he was asked to react to the threat of the summit being canceled. He said, we'll see, which is what he says a lot. Yeah, and he's really, in some ways, adopting this blasé attitude. We'll see if it happens, if the North Koreans mm -hmm. want to come to the table, we'll be there. But it's it's not the same as what you saw when he was really touting how important this meeting was going to be. Uh, now it's just kind of this wait and see period uh, going forward about whether North Korea is actually going to pull the plug. Yeah, right. he seems to be letting a lot of things go by so far in the interest of making this mm -hmm. happen. All right, that does it for this edition of The Briefing Room. Our thanks to Cecilia Vega for Catherine Folders, Arlette Signs. I'm Rick Klein. Download the ABC, ABC News app and we will be back here next time with the briefing room.